0: All my friends and extended family are visiting. It's good to see you. I'm Andy Hirschman, the pastor, if if, if I don't know you. Welcome. I hope you got, sense God's love and presence with us today. Uh, we have a guest this morning, uh, Sharon, uh, with worship and uh, also teaching this morning. And it's a good friend of mine who uh, gave me my first ministry job. I, I that, That's my recollection of it anyway, that uh, when I was young, my young 20s, I uh, was approached by my friend Brett here, and he offered me a job to do like maintenance and all sorts of other stuff at Calvary Fellowship, the church that I came from, and here I am, like that's what I'm still doing today, (laughs) so anyway, I'm just blessed to have him, come on up Brett, Uh, he's a friend and a brother, and um, yeah, thank you, thank you, he's going to share the word with us this morning. Um, I want to, these guys, I know that Jen and Andy have got a lot of friends. But I would say that Andy is one of my best friends in life. He's been a pastor to me at many times in my life. Uh, he and Jen were big encouragements to Kathleen and I in our marriage and, and in the ministry. And it's just a, it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I want you to open up your Bibles to Romans 12. In the New Testament there, one of the Apostle Paul's letters. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Everyone in our our church family on Woodby Island sends their love. Uh, We've been going through the book of Romans for the last several months. And and you, you guys know this, but just as a little primer... The Apostle Paul in the first century, he never actually visited this church, these house churches in Rome, personally yet. But he had heard about them. And what had happened was the churches had started off just little house churches, probably a lot like this, and that had started out as mostly Jewish believers. And then what had happened was as time went on, more Gentile believers came into the church, and at the time that Paul wrote this, they were the majority of, of the folks there. And so, he's talking to them about Christian community, brothers and sisters in Christ living together. And he's talking about the gifts that God gives us in this passage. And I, I was watching this documentary uh, called All or Nothing, it followed an NFL team through their entire season, Super Bowl Sunday. Football is on a lot of our minds, and this documentary followed this team through all the team meetings, and the practices, and the coaches' meetings, and the games, and the travel, and all these different things. And you see the importance of motivation, how important it is for these men to be able to motivate these players, to inspire them to elevate and play at a higher level, to be able to speak into their lives. And our passages this morning, it's it's really kind of one of the greatest motivational speeches ever made. The Apostle Paul, after challenging the Jewish and the Gentile Christians alike, now calls all of them together as a family in Jesus to elevate to this new level of maturity. So this is what Paul says, starting in verse 1. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let's pray over the word this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for these verses today. And we pray, Lord, that you would transform and change us this morning into the humans that we will one day be. Give us a little measure of growth. Another stone set on the foundation of Jesus Christ that builds each one of us up and changes us. As your people, as your children, we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy. Another word for urge is plead. Paul is basically saying, I beg you guys. In view of God's mercy. You see, it's not God's anger. Not in view of God's power. Not in view of his holiness. But Paul says, no, in view of his mercy. Mercy. Consider God's love and patience and pity towards you and let that be the motivation for what I'm about to say. And so he goes on to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this was a cultural reference they all would have understood There was, of course, the Jewish sacrificial system that they were well aware of. All the other pagan religions in Rome at the time would have had some form of sacrificial systems. But this is a unique offering. Paul says it's a living sacrifice. So it's a sacrifice that's living because it's brought alive to the altar. But it's also a sacrifice that's living because it stays alive at the altar. It's an ongoing thing. So Jesus came to give us life abundantly, but that life is breathed into us for a purpose, a great purpose to glorify God. And we do that when we set ourselves apart. That's what holy means is to be set apart for one purpose. Now, that doesn't mean when we say that we're, that we're making our lives a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that we're being set apart for him, that doesn't necessarily mean the foreign mission field. It doesn't necessarily mean a remote monastery. It can mean that. But it just means us bringing everything that we are to him. Being holy also doesn't mean that there's no blessing or freedom or personal fulfillment in life. Because we have that through Jesus Christ as well. But holiness does mean that the overriding purpose of our life is to glorify God. Now, the King James translation uses the word reasonable rather than spiritual. Uh, I, I have the NIV. I don't know what you guys are looking at. Some of you may have that King James translation where it says, our reasonable service. And that's a great word. The Greek word for reasonable is logikos. What does that sound like? Logical. That's the logical thing for you to do with your life. Living your whole lives for God, basically Paul says it only makes sense. If you look at it logically, reasonably, it's the only option. And that is really the definition of worshiping in spirit and in truth. When Jesus said, God is looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and truth, not this religious form and function. He's looking for sincerity in our hearts that we would worship the Lord with our lives and that we would make our life a living sacrifice. We think of worship mostly as singing songs, what Jen did uh, this morning in such a lovely way and we all got to join in on that we think of that as worship if somebody says what's the worship like at your church that's the kind of stuff that we would think of but worshiping being just this expression of worship would be like saying exercise is walking on the treadmill that's what I do I walk on the treadmill every day that is one of thousands of types of exercise worship is the same way Worship is to feel in the heart, to feel deep emotions like we were doing this morning as we were singing these lovely songs, but it's also engaging our minds and our wills to reason through how worthy he is of our praise. So verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As a pastor, I see Ken up here, I see Andy. As pastors, one of the things that we hear most often in our years is how can I know what God's will is? I'm in this situation in my life, I have this dilemma, I have this big crossroads. How do I know what God's will is? Well, this is a fundamental principle that Paul has given us right here. We can know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is if we no longer conform. To the pattern of this world. But we transform our minds by the renewing of our minds. So what is the pattern of this world? If Paul is saying, don't any longer be be influenced. Be conformed to the pattern of this world. Then it leads to the obvious question, what is the pattern of this world? Well, it's basically follow your heart. Love yourself. The world trains us to ask ourselves, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my spouse, my kids, my friends? How do I feel about my church? Do I like the teaching? Do I like the music? It's it's this consumer mentality that we're constantly asking ourselves if we're being satisfied, if our needs are being met. Living for God and not ourselves is what Paul is calling us to. The pattern of this world is how do I feel? This new transformation, this new pattern of our thinking is living for God and not me. It's kind of the filter that's always running in the background. I think about that with my wife Kathleen. We've been married for almost 31 years. 31, right? 32. (sighs) Ten of the best years of Kathleen's life. <laughs> I love that joke. And I realize, after all these years, I realize if I'm in a situation and Kathleen's not with me, if I if I'm saying something or doing something, I just I just immediately think, now what would Kathleen think if she was standing here? And I told that joke that I think is hilarious, but maybe it's not really that funny. Uh, if I if I did something or said something, I'm thinking, would she be pleased? Because I love her and I want her to be pleased with my life. So it's kind, of this, it's kind of this inner dialogue that's always happening. I'm aware of wanting to please Kathleen. Now, in a much more macro sense, we have that same desire as God's children to please him with our lives. And in a very real way that Kathleen can't be. He is always with me. I may forget about his presence, but he is hearing all the things I say. He is seeing all the secret things in my heart, my hypocrisy, my bitterness, my small-mindedness, and I want to please him with my life. This idea of living according to how we feel will never allow us to know the transforming power of God because it ignores this renewing of the mind. It's staying in the same place as Christians, thinking the same old way, making everything about me, and then somehow expecting God to bless it. Imagine a young man who's a womanizer. And he has moved from one relationship to another. He's used his Sexuality is charisma to take advantage of ladies to kind of bully them emotionally and relationally. It's just a string of sexual conquests. That's the way he's lived his life. He comes to Christ. Praise God. He comes to the Lord. But the problem is he just takes all that old stuff and he just transplants it into his new Christian life. So He becomes the guy in the home Bible study that has got to question and criticize everything. He's got to be the smartest guy in the room. He's got to challenge and vie for leadership. He's just taken all of his old junk and just moved it into his Christian world. There's an expression, dry drunk. You guys ever heard that before? It talks about somebody that's an addict... And their life has become driven by blaming other people for their problems and being totally self-absorbed. They stop using the substance, but nothing in their life changes. Relationally, emotionally, they're just exactly the same person. God wants us to no longer be conformed to that old way of thinking, but to be transformed. Now, this renewal... This this change of perspective makes us more awake and aware of what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. That's what Paul says we will be able to attain. If we no longer conform ourselves to the thinking of this world, but we allow God to transform us, then he tells us that we will know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now that's awesome. There's not many Christians that would not be thrilled to hear that kind of promise. This change of perspective will make us more awake and aware of what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now, that does not mean that we will have every answer for every prayer request. You think about questions that we might take to the Lord, like, should I take this job? A big career move. Should I marry this person? This process of transforming our thinking and our minds, allowing the Lord to do that, It clarifies those decisions. It doesn't necessarily give us an absolute (coughs) signboard dropping from heaven telling us exactly what we should do. But it points us in the right direction. It gives us a biblical filter to sift our lives through. So these questions, when they're processed by a, a renewed mind, the question, should I take this job? Well, Lord, I've been asking you for more opportunities to talk to people about you. I really want to be in a situation where I'm around more non-Christians. And if I take this job, it will give me that opportunity. This job would allow me to glorify you with my life. There's some clarification there, isn't there? Should I marry this person? God, I know that you want me to live for you. I love this person deeply, but they don't know you. And if I marry them, that means that my love for you and my love for them would be divided and polarized. This relationship would pull me away from you. That's clarification, isn't it? That's the thinking of a renewed mind. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a transformation. A metamorphosis is actually the word that Paul uses. I read that when a butterfly... Before it emerges from its cocoon, it, 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 as a caterpillar, it weaves this cocoon. It's encased inside. And then basically, from what I've heard, that little critter basically liquefies. It's not like little wings get stuck on and the legs get moved around and that kind of stuff. It completely liquefies and becomes this new creature. It's not shuffling parts around. It's a brand new creation. That's the word that Paul's using here. Verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. There's a popular bumper sticker question authority. You see that one? Who is naturally the greatest authority in my life? It's me. I should question me constantly. It's not a coincidence that Paul follows the passage about renewing our minds and discerning God's will with this verse about not thinking that we're all that. Don't give yourself so much credit. And we do this so often. We drown out God's voice with our own. And we convince ourselves that they're one and the same. Because we want them to be. If I feel like in my heart that God is saying, Brett, you don't need to... You don't need to allow him to talk to you that way. Or she doesn't deserve your forgiveness. If I think in my mind, even for one second, that's God's voice, I'm wrong. That's not God's heart. I know that that's me. I had a guy tell me one time, God's given me a piece about leaving my wife and kids for this other woman that I've met. No, he didn't. You might have given yourself some measure of peace... But that was not God's voice. Notice that this is to be done in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. There's no doubt that as Christians we all grow in our faith. From the time, hopefully, and this is what the this is what the Christian maturity arc should look like. From the time that we came to Jesus, hopefully we're not in the same place. Hopefully we've grown. In our knowledge and understanding of Him and His Word, and we've grown in faith. We start out with a certain measure, and over time, the Bible tells us that God tries and tests our faith to increase it and strengthen the quality of it. Some people seem to have more faith than others. We go through seasons where we feel like our faith is strong, and other times we feel like we're weak in our faith. It's a dynamic thing, it's shifting, but it's not our thing. Even our faith is a gift from God. That's why there's no room for us to be haughty or overconfident. Verse 4. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul reminds us here that we need each other. The body of Christ is a living, breathing entity. And just like we have one body there are many different parts that all work together to keep that body healthy. And every Christian, and this is super important, so much of what I say is forgettable, but this is really important. Every one of us in the body of Christ has a purpose. We have a place. We have a gift. And unless we're all doing our job, We're all fulfilling that design that God has for us. The body is not as healthy as it should be. The body of Christ. We're reminded again in verse 6 that these gifts are also from God. They're not self-generated. They're bestowed as God desires it. And it's no credit to us how they're granted. And there's seven spiritual gifts listed here. We're going to go through them one by one real briefly. It's not an exhaustive list of every spiritual gift. There are other gifts listed in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, but these are general categories that encompass many specific ones. They are sometimes called ministry gifts because they're general gifts for building up the body of Christ. And here, here they are. And remember, as I read this, every one of you as believers in this room possesses at least one of these gifts. Tonsils, appendix, gallbladder, those things were considered useless not that many years ago. I got a couple sore throats in a row. My mom had my tonsils and my adenoids taken out. They just seemed like useless, pointless vestiges from millions of years of evolution. Now we realize oh no, actually, they have a purpose. All of those things are important. You may feel that you're no use to the body of Christ, but you are wrong. I'm telling you that. So listen to these gifts. Prophecy. This spiritual gift in the biblical understanding isn't necessarily foretelling. In five years' time, there will be great economic upheaval. That's a type of prophecy. But probably more prevalent in the Bible is the idea of foretelling the heart and mind of God. And the heart and mind of God is expressed in his word. So speaking God's word into someone's life, that can be prophetic. That's prophecy. G.K. Chesterton said, I don't need church to tell me I'm right. I need church to tell me I'm wrong where I think I'm right. And that gift requires courage for us to use this prophetic gift. It can be comforting, but it can also ruffle some feathers and it's not always welcome. So here's a little example, a real world example of this. Let's say you're with a group of friends talking. And one of your friends starts to maybe trash, criticize another one of your friends that doesn't happen to be there. And you say, have you talked to them about this? Sounds to me like you're bitter. And God doesn't want bitterness between his people. He wants you to go to him and share these things with them face to face. That's prophetic. And people love it when you talk to them like that. You're speaking forth God's word into the life of a Christian. Serving is the next one. This has in view the broader picture of simply serving in practical ways. Serving the practical needs of people. Examples of this gift might be helping someone fix their car. Driving someone to a doctor's appointment. Grocery shopping for someone they can't get around. It's it's an example of deacons and deaconesses. The deaconate of the church. They're the ones that serve the body. Teaching, that has the mind of instruction and exhortation. Someone that can unpack God's word and make it clear and understandable. That can be teaching a home Bible study. It can be meeting one-on-one in settings to explain the Bible to a young Christian. It can be a parent teaching their children. That's a gift of teaching. Encouraging is the next one. To come alongside, counseling, support, inspiration. Not necessarily trained or professional, though that's sometimes the case. Because these are spiritual gifts given by God. It's not a diploma on a wall or an ordination necessarily. Examples of this gift could be marriage. We do that in our marriage all the time. We encourage one another. Parenting. We're speaking life and counseling and support and inspiration into our kids. It could be a Christian friend who's struggling that you get, to, you get together with them for coffee and walk them through the struggles that they're going through. It could be ushers on a Sunday morning. The gift of encouraging. Next, the gift of giving. Someone who's a channel through whom God provides resources for the body. It's a liberality, it's a generosity that comes from a grateful heart for all that God has provided. Examples of this gift might be taking somebody to lunch after church today. Somebody that you didn't know very well. Your treat, not Dutch. Tithing, donating money to a missionary. These are examples of giving, not necessarily just monetary. You can just be generous with your possessions, with your time. You have that gift of giving. Leadership. Leaders are people with the gift of getting people to follow them. It's very obvious, but I remember Pastor Wayne, my pastor... He had a young guy come up to him and said, I feel like I have the gift of leadership. You know, I feel like that's something that God's given me. And Wayne said, well, is anybody following you? It's a good question. Can you put an idea or a vision before people and inspire them to get there? Most of us would like to see ourselves as leaders. Nobody generally says, I am an excellent follower. Just give me some instructions as long as somebody tells me where I'm going. I'm great at following. We all like to think of ourselves as leaders, but it's a gift that's only validated if other people see you as a leader, if other people are following you. Examples of this gift we lead as husbands in our Christian families, we lead as parents, friends, business owners, Bible study leader, maybe pastor at the end of the line. We're in a situation where we're leading people. Next is mercy. This is a gift of people that are moved to work specifically with the poor, the sick, the weak, the prisoner, the addict, the elderly. Examples of this gift you're delivering a meal, you may be helping out with a prison ministry that your church does, you uh, go on hospital visits. Those are mercy gifts. And with all these gifts, it's a cheerful offering. It's not a chore. If I say, oh, you know, these people, they're in need again, and I guess I'll go out and try to help them out. I got a lot of other things I could be doing. That's not really much of an expression of a gift. That's more of a... Of a way to let people know how wonderful you are. You should never signal your virtue. It's not a virtue anymore at that point. It's something that should be done cheerfully. Now, some of us may recognize that we have several of these gifts. As I'm, as I'm reading this list, you're going, oh, yeah, that kind of, I do kind of have that on my heart. I have had people tell me that before, that I have this gift or that gift. Some of us may just see one. Some may think I don't recognize myself in any of these things. I have no clue what God's called me to. But we're promised in scripture that we have at least one of these things. We all have a gift. Now here's a good way to figure it out. We're getting close to the end. Ask yourself, first of all, what's your skill set? Second of all, What do I enjoy doing? Third of all, what do I find myself constantly in the middle of? What does it seem like my gravitational pull is in my life? Are you always finding yourself working on somebody's car, helping them out out with a stove that needs to be replaced, that broke down, or something like that? You have a gift of serving. Do you always seem to have people over? And people seem to want to open up to you about things they're struggling with. Andy has that gift. It's kind of inexplicable. I would think so many times I have so much better stuff to say than Andy, but everyone wants to talk to Andy. He has the gift of encouragement and mercy. He's just always in the middle of that. He did it for me as a friend at Calvary. Now he's kind of become kind of a pastor of pastors in the area. He has that spiritual gift of encouragement and mercy, and he's had it as long as I've known him. Do people often ask you to help them understand a difficult passage in the Bible? I don't really get this. You know, you have a, you have a way of explaining things that I, it just makes it easier for me to understand. You have a gift of teaching. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We're all created to do our part. And until we do that, until we take hold of that calling that God's put on our life and allow him to raise us up in the gifts that he's given us, and again, I say it again, every one of us in here has one of these gifts or more. And until we step up and into those gifts, the rest of the body of Christ is missing out. We're actually less for it. I was, uh, during the football season, Kathleen is a huge football fan. So we love watching football. It's kind of our, our fun thing during the week. You get into that sweet nougat center of the NFL season where there's Sunday football, there's Monday football, there's Thursday football. you got college football on Saturdays. And we, we watch so much football, and, and you watch these athletes. I remember seeing this one replay of this kid that reaches out and makes this, as he's falling, makes this catch with one hand and pulls it in. And you know, it all all happens in a split second. But they do the super slow-mo. And you're watching him as he falls, and you're thinking, they make it look so easy. Like, that's that's what you say about a great musician or a great artist, or a great athlete. That's the first thing that you think of. You'll see them do what they were born to do, and you'll think, man, they just make it look so easy. But you think about all the thousands, millions of things that are happening in that moment. The the signals that his brain is sending to his muscles. The information that he's getting from his inner ear about his balance as he's falling. All the incredible things that are happening in that split second for him to catch that football. And because they practice and everything is working as it's designed to, every member of his body is doing what it's supposed to, it looks so easy. That's the body of Christ. That's why the word tells us that the world will know that we know Jesus by how we what? Love each other. We'll make it look so easy. Every element every member of the body is doing its part and just like that athlete just like that dancer like that artist that musician everything is working as it's supposed to everyone is fulfilling that role that they were designed to fill and will make love look easy that should be our heart and i really encourage you to in this you know i encourage my own church family on woodby island in the same way It's such a beautiful thing when you feel like you're doing what you were created to do. I remember the first time I felt that, uh, I was with my pastor, Wayne, and we went to see uh, a gal who was dying of cancer. And I was young, I was super nervous. He told me to bring my guitar, and she was just a, a few days away from going to be with the Lord. And he shared some passages of scripture with her. And, and then um, I sang some songs. And it was just in a tiny little bedroom, cluttered with all kinds of medical equipment and medicine and things like that. And I remember as I was singing these songs, I just, I, I felt like this is what I was born to do. You know, this is, this is something of in my life, I'm not good at very many things, but I felt like this is what I can do for the Lord. I just felt like, like um, I feel His pleasure when I run. What was that movie called? Chariots of, Fire. Chariots of Fire. He he said that he felt the Lord's pleasure when he ran. You know, he felt like it was a gift that God had given him. That's why I felt in that moment. I just felt like this is what God's given me that I can do. This is my little place in the garden that he's planted me. And he's done that for every single one of us. And I just encourage you as we close up. We can even have the musicians come up. Encourage you as as we close up to ask the Lord to show you these things. Every one of you possesses them. And Calvary Ballard is the less for it if we're not all working in our gifting. And allowing the Lord to use us to build up the whole body. Amen? Amen. Amen.